This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. It's the New Year's Eve edition of the podcast, and I'm very excited because tonight, Jeff Siegel of um, Peachtree Hoops, my one of my favorite uh, cap sites, which um, outlines some of Dwayne Casey's um, after the timeout plays today that I was checking out. Um, Jeff is all over the internet, uh, Blazer's Edge everywhere. Um, Jeff, good evening. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. Um, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, the NBA, we're at that point right now where the playoff picture is not solidified, but wasn't it Tom Habistro who kind of found a couple of years ago that around this time of year is basically when we know, not for certain, but pretty like 97% certain that uh, this is going to be the 16 teams that make the playoffs, right? Yeah, but I mean, I can't imagine that that whatever formula he was using for that holds up with the Western Conference the way it is this year. So who do you think uh, in the Western Conference that's on the outside as of this recording, recording this late on a Monday, um, is it the Spurs? Is it the Jazz? Is there a team that you think falls out and that they move up? Who are you still keeping an eye on of like, yeah, I know it's almost January now, but I still think they're going to find their way in. Uh, Utah would have to be the the team that I'm looking at only because they're I mean, what are they, a game and a half, two games out of the eight seed where the Spurs are right now? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I had them as the third seed. But even that, they're only, what, five games out of the third seed, six and a half games out of the first seed. So, like, everybody's so close that to say, like, oh, well, we're going into January, so should we should see some separation. Well, we, if we haven't seen that separation yet, then we might as well be in October. You know, we're, we're, everything is so bund, you know, bunched up. Even New Orleans, who's eight and a half games back of the first seed and only four games back of the eighth seed, but yet they're the 14th seed. It's, it's really, you know, anybody has one good week and all of a sudden you're, you know, having home court advantage throughout the playoffs. So it's, you know, to say that, like, we're supposed to see some separation, you know, around Christmas, around New Year's, it's tough. I mean, in, in, in this particular Western Conference this year, Everything is so bunched up and so tight that, you know, it would not surprise me if all six of the teams, nine through 14, make the playoffs because everything's so close anyway that it's a toss up. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. We've kind of written off a couple of them. Obviously, Phoenix um, not yeah. coming back into that race. But um, I think you're right in that it's still just way too early to pinpoint which of these teams are going to fall out, which of these teams are going to make it, and also injuries. Like it seems like injuries have not been a big factor early on this season. That like the Jazz have been pretty healthy and still are struggling mightily. I mean, you have the Grizzlies who, um, outside of Conley, missing a little time. They've remained healthy in their team. We're going to talk about in a second. But 
Um, Bagley's now out for the Kings, but you can make the case that that might actually be good for their playoff hopes um, to not have Marvin, Marvin Bagley in the rotation for a little while um, just because of how well they play uh, with that five-man unit of healed uh, Bojan, De'Aaron Fox, Willie Cauley-Stein, and uh, everybody else. So it uh, it's interesting to see how that all works in Sacramento because, um, you know, they're if the playoffs started today, they are the eight seeds. So shout out to them, I guess, for keeping it all together, um, at least for a little bit longer. But uh, I, I'll just, I'm, I can't do it yet. I don't think the Kings are going to make it. Um, I keep waiting for the Clippers to tail off, but that hasn't happened either. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just, it does feel like the Jazz, though. You brought them up, and they're a team that I just think, unless that Rubio, um, huge expiring contract that he's on, I think it's like fourteen million. They can find a way to move him, and once they're able to trade somebody like Derek Favors because he just got re-signed this summer, um, they have to wait um, a little bit longer on him to move him. But I, I don't know. Is it like Kevin Love when he comes back? Like that's what they need, or? do you see this team finding a way back or at least not even just finding a way back, but kind of getting back to where we thought they were uh, prior to the season? Because I was right there with you where I thought they were the second best team in the West coming into this year and it just hasn't happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not super worried about Utah because it looks weird because they're in the 11th spot right now, but like, you know, they're two games back of the Spurs, you know, three and a half games back of the Clippers at the four spot. And if so, if they, if they can string together a couple of, you know, two, three, four wins in a row, all of a sudden they're right back up there. So, you know, it's, it's not, it is a little bit weird that Utah is below 500 this far into the year because you would have expected them to be a little bit better, but everybody is sort of, everybody is so bunched up. So maybe it's, it's a situation where I'm, I I was too high on Utah's ability to sort of separate themselves from the rest of the pack in the way that I expected you know, you expect Golden State to be able to do that. You expect, you know, Milwaukee and Toronto, and I expected Boston, but they haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, at the at the top of their respective conferences, I expected Utah and Houston to be teams that would also sort of separate themselves, and we haven't really seen that yet from from either one of those teams. Really, well, obviously, Brandon Knight's back. So yeah, Houston's on a little uh, bit of a run with Brandon yeah. Knight, of course, leading the way. Um, <laughs> With his whatever five points off the bench or whatever he's he's doing Baby right now, steps. Um, steps, Jeff. Yeah, I mean whatever he can give them is is kind of nice only because yeah, you would Gordon expect him to get good. moved. Yeah. Um, you know, I expect Brandon Knight to be on the on in heavy trade discussions, and if he's worth anything, that's better than what he was worth a month ago, which is nothing. So you know, if he can if he can come off the bench and be worth a minimum contract or four million dollars a year then that really cuts into you know how much compensation they have to send out but anyway getting back to to the jazz you know it's a little bit weird that they're they're below 500 obviously their their defense has been very good you know it's it maybe not quite at the level that uh that we would have expected but it's still at you know a, a top five defense i think if i if i remember correctly yeah they're third in defense the offense is not fantastic obviously you know it's it's really been poor but you know if you look at cleaning the glasses sort of win difference it's sort of a, a luck based metric on how many games they've won versus how many games their point differential would have expected them to win they're mm-hmm. the worst team in the league in that metric they've won 18 games but they should have won 22.1 per cleaning the glass which is that the charlotte four- hornet special from like yeah, the last that, couple of years <laughs> the charlotte hornets are probably up there they're 26th in that same metric so they you know it, every it is, year man the, the Hornets just can't get out of their own way. They're like the most unlucky team in basketball. It's a yeah. yearly tradition. No matter who the coach is, that close games where it can go either way, positive point differentials, be damned. They're just, they always underperform and the numbers just never understand why. Yeah. And Brooklyn uh, earlier this year was the same way where they were just losing every close game. And now they've sort of come back a little bit off of that. But uh, yeah. for Utah, like the closer. Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's been uh, he's been really solid for them, and obviously that extension is is going to work out, I think, for them in, in their favor. Um, but like, if Utah had twenty two wins, like we like the the numbers sort of expect them to have, then they'd be the three or four seed, and we'd be not, yeah, worried, not worried at all about them. About them. So right. they've been playing well, got a little bit unlucky over the long haul. I think they'll be fine. So I'm not uh, I'm not super worried about Utah at all. 
No, I'm not either. When you watch him, it's just, it's one of those things where, like, Rubio still is playing well. Like, he's still shooting the ball well with for them and watching the way him driving and kicking. He looks healthy and Gobert is still trying. He's, I don't know. The Jazz are, we'll wait and see. But I do think they're going to do something uh, just because of how high expectations were coming into the year. I will say about the Spurs, and then we'll get into the things that I actually have in our notes to talk about tonight. But um, I have to mention the Spurs because you brought them up. How mad must Greg Popovich be uh, about DeJounte Murray going down before the season? Because this team, I think, having watched them enough this year, that if he was healthy, I think, just because of how jumbled the West is right now, outside of the the top group, um, I think this that was a team that would have taken advantage, where like DeJounte Murray going to that next gear, having two guys in DeRozan and Aldridge who could help you win right now, and Rudy Gay playing solid uh, Bryn Forbes still shooting amazing and Derek White progressing like it does seem like they just it, it, it's kind of a bummer because they're going to probably sneak into the playoffs I still think the Spurs are going to find a way but I think had DeJounte Murray not gone down I think this team would have been good enough and deep enough to probably surprise all of us again and get to like the number four or five seed yeah I mean the Spurs would have probably been worse offensively obviously with him on the floor they're fourth in offense right now for per yeah. cleaning the glass but 21st in defense he mm-hmm. would have obviously helped on that end he's probably one of the three or four best defensive point cards in the league you know so he um, you know he deserves to have his name up there with drew Holiday Mike Conley the other guys at the at the top of that list and so he's you know missing him is obviously a, a massive part of of their team and he was expected to sort of step up and be that starting point guard I think they were pretty high on how he was going to sort of benefit them even offensively a little bit I mean they there's so so much of their offense runs through DeRozan and through Aldridge that it wouldn't have been a big deal if he couldn't have you know given them a lot offensively he just sort of needs to space the floor and they don't shoot a ton of threes anyway so it's not a, a big deal from from that perspective but defensively they would have been helped a ton to have him out there yeah we'll see what happens but the west is fun and uh the east is already all done right isn't that like you look at the top eight and you're like okay it's basically the heater and that jumbled group that the hornets are in and that bottom half i mean we know they're gonna get trounced by the top of the east but um not a lot of question marks i don't think the hawks are gonna sneak their way back in there it's more interesting to see whether or not uh the pacers and the celtics get a four or five matchup in the first round which would be a bloodbath and i'm 100 percent here for it that uh just Oh my god. That that's what I want. I want Celtics Pacers in the first round. Avoiding that fourth seed if you're one of those, you know, top 3 te- top 3 4 5 teams Critical. whatever if if as the top 5 you really want to be in that top 3 because then you get to play a team like Charlotte who's below 500. Who are we forgetting? Uh, Charlotte, uh Miami, Miami Detroit, and, Detroit, and then uh, right, right, right. Orlando is sort of hanging around inexplicably uh, and Washington's not but you know, you never know if they no, might Washington's get back into done, it right? but I would I mean, think they're look, done. I'm the like, president of the Tomas Sadaransky is actually a good fan club, but uh, I don't even know if he can uh, rise up enough to the challenge to guide this team back into the playoffs. You would think that they would be in a bad spot there, you know, obviously without John Wall, but like Bradley Beal has been their best player probably last year and this year, but definitely this year so far. And, you know, maybe they have some, some more openings. They'll probably, they'll play better defensively without uh, without wall in the lineup so that's good and you know if Otto if, porter's better without john wall like yeah like if, if Otto porter's obviously like if Otto porter can take a step up and uh, and ariza steps forward like they you could you could i could see them sneaking into that you know seven eight conversation because they're not that far off of that that mm-hmm. conversation they go on a little run and they're right there so you know i, I it's it's there you know it's an uphill battle for them but they it's I'm not completely writing them off unless they want to write themselves off, which I guess is something that we we might talk about today in terms of, you know, if, if they're going to start sitting guys, if they're going to shop, you know, Beal or, or Porter, then things get a little bit different. But if they if they go for it, I would, you know, I, I would give them a 35, 40 percent chance of, of getting into the playoffs. So they're on our list. Um, I didn't have them first, but I want to I the Wizards, because John Wall, um, there are already some pretty wild takes being thrown around of like oh if he was really dealing with this kind of injury um for months at a time or a year or whatever why didn't he have it before now and everything else there's a lot of conspiracy theories already being thrown around about why john wall decided um to have this surgery now but it would explain a lot right about his play 
and about his defensive issues, his shots kind of regressed in the last couple of years. I mean, we can't put all of that on a heel injury, but at the same time, it does make sense that John Wall was playing through pain because um, it seems like oftentimes when a player, especially like a superstar player kind of falls back to earth a little bit or struggles in a variety of ways it's because they're just injured and their body's not right and uh, it's really hard to be uh, an exceptional uh, basketball player when you're dealing with nagging injuries like that's just a part of it and I wonder if that's just been something that John Wall hasn't uh, just let on and just played through it I mean he was good in the playoffs last year like him and Bradley Beal busted their ass trying to beat the Raptors in round one and um this year it's obviously they had the offseason of hell and they brought in Dwight Howard and everything else who hasn't played and this team can't rebound to save their life and I think they're one of the worst rebounding teams in the league still um but John Wall has gotten the most flack like everybody loves Bradley Beal Otto Porter's kind of gone under the radar um but he's just he plays so much better without John Wall on the court that it's just one of those things it's like why why doesn't this work why doesn't Porter Beal and Wall on the court together work um but at the same time, I am fascinated by what this team does without him. But at the same time, I do feel bad for John Wall because, oh man, it, it does seem like it might be the worst contract in basketball right now. It could, I mean, it's on the list because if it depends, I mean, obviously, you know, with an injury like this, a season ending injury, it's going to depend on how he comes back from it to whether he's going to be worth 38 to $45 million over the next you know few years. That's going to, you know, obviously that's a, that's a big, big part of their books and a big part of their team going forward. And it's going to be very hard for them to move off of him. Should they want to do that? Um, you know, but, but whether he can get back to that level or not, what we saw in the playoffs, if he's, if he's been hurt since the beginning of the year and he has had this heel injury, then we could sort of, you know, sort of throw away what we've seen over the last few weeks, over the last couple of months and and look back to the playoffs and be like, okay, when this guy's healthy, he's still a top five, six, seven, eight point guard in the league, and he's still one of the guys that you can build a a contender around. You know, you're going to need some other guys, but John Wall can be your your alpha dog at the point guard position. So, you know, it's it's obviously going to you know it's going to matter how he comes back from from that injury. But if he's if he's back to where he was at during the playoffs and during down the stretch last season. You know, I think he's that that contract's at least going to be fine for a year or two as he ages, as he loses some of that speed, as he has to rely a little bit more on a on an outside jump shot that may or may not ever show up. That's that's when things get real dicey. That's when the you know forty five million dollars or forty three million dollars that they owe him is going to look really bad. But you know, I think that's the that's the price that they pay for you know, trying to, you know, giving him this super max extension. That's the point of it is that they get to keep him around when they want him around. And, you know, it hasn't worked out so far, but he hasn't even started the extension yet. So we'll see where, you know, where he comes back at the beginning of next year, how he looks, you know, speed wise, how he looks athletically. And, and that's when we can really start to evaluate how bad that contract really is. Do you know, it's really hard to do. I mean, there's lots of things that are really hard to do things, but acquiring two actually not even acquiring drafting two top 20 players in their prime that's a very difficult thing to pull off a lot of franchises can't do that shout out to charlotte and orlando it's a very difficult thing just to get one the wizards develop john wall he when healthy at his best he is a top 20 player right like if he's yeah. at the top of his game he's still a top 20 player in this league bradley beal when he is at the top of his game, I think this year you would still put him in the top 20 conversation. That's yeah. two guys in the top 20 in the NBA. You're in a big market. So the thing with John Wall and the Wizards trading John Wall or Bradley Beal or whoever, I've never really bought into that because I just, you look at, I mean, the Blazers are kind of suffering from the same kind of thing where it's like we developed Damian Lillard, we developed CJ McCollum. It's not a clean fit, but they found a way to get, become a top 10 defense last year. There are ways around um, some odd on-court fits or even just off-court personality issues. Like At the end of the day, I just think acquiring talent like that is just too critical to surviving this league, especially when you're a big market like that. I just, I would, my focus if I was Ernie Grunfeld, and what a scary thought, would be just what else can we do? Like if Otto Porter is a significantly better player um when john wall's on the court 
I'm more concerned about moving Otto Porter because Otto Porter will never be as valuable as John Wall at his peak. Um, would you bet on Otto Porter being a more consistent player who plays more games and whatever um, the, for the next like five years? Sure, maybe. But I would rather have the potential of John Wall. I still would. I, I've seen what he can do when he's really gung-ho about everything. Like I, when Bradley Beal and John Wall are on a mission, like they were in the playoffs last year, trying to um, upend a number one seed in Toronto. And they came close. Like Bradley Beal, do you remember when he fouled out and John Wall was by himself and it was like, oh, this might be it for Washington. Nope. They rose to the occasion and they won. Um, and those are little things where I'm like, I just, the thing with the Wizards that has always stood out to me is that this is a group that only plays hard when they know their their backs are against the wall. Like come playoff time, they're going to bust their ass. Morris, everybody else, like Gortat, like him and the John Wall stuff was never great. But guess what? That starting five just two years ago, one of the best starting fives in the NBA, right? Wasn't that five-man unit with Gortat, Markeith, Otto, Beal, and Wall? It murdered teams. I still think you don't run away from that. I think you just tweak this a little bit more. And yeah, the John Wall injury sucks and the contract's not great, but hey, it's a big market. Leonis can afford it. I, I just, I don't care about the money there because John Wall as a franchise player is still worthwhile. I'm not trading Bradley Beal in his prime. No, you spent all this time developing someone like Bradley Beal. You find a way to make it work. And the guy you move on from is Porter, where it's like, uh, you can find those guys everywhere. You can find another Harrison Barnes, Torian Prince types. Like, they're everywhere. You can't find a John Wall. You can't find a Bradley Beal. Those are really hard to come by. And I just, with how important it is to just be a ball handler in today's NBA, how valuable it is to just have two elite guards at the peak of their prime like no you just find ways around it like you this year sucks but whatever you figure something out this summer and you figure out who will take Otto Porter who will take Dwight Howard who will take Marquise Morris whatever it takes to get around this but those are the two that I just under any circumstances I just wouldn't move on from yeah I think uh, I mean Beal in particular is only 25 years old we think of Beal as being you know in that 28 29 30 range because he's been around for a little bit and he's on a big contract but He's so young that you just – I would not – I would trade everybody before I traded Bradley Beal. And he still be Dwayne Wade. I mean he's, he's really, he's really the, the, the building block for them going forward. And obviously Wall is just because of the contract, because of what he means to the team, because of how, you know, because of how the injury situation works out. They're, you know, they're not going to find a suitor for him I don't think. Um, but Beal is the, is the core of the team and Wall is sort of – core number two there and so it's you know it seems like if if they're convinced that porter doesn't fit with those two guys and i'm not i'm not 100 percent there yet because on paper he should but if he doesn't and they're seeing that he doesn't and they they're convinced that he's not going to going forward then he's the guy of the three of them that makes the most sense to move assuming that you can't get off of wall's contract if you could at this point it would make sense, I think, to at least think about the wall situation just because he's, you know, because of, of where he is and, and where he is age wise and, and sort of retool around around Bradley Beal and, and Otto Porter a little bit. Because if those guys play well together, then you can sort of build something from that point going forward. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be thinking too heavily about that. I would be looking at Otto Porter and and then the interesting thing with this wall injury is if things go off the rails over the next, you know, couple of weeks for them. And they decide, you know, we might, if they decide for themselves that they could grab a top seven pick rather than fight their way and get to the 12th pick or even the if they make the playoffs the 15th or 16th pick, you know, it might behoove them to just be like, okay, our star point guard's out. Let's start slowly shutting guys down. We'll save another year off of Bradley Beal's legs long term. You know, we'll save a year of everybody else's legs a little bit and, you know, try to get into that top eight, top seven, top six situation where the lottery odds are a little bit flatter. There's a bigger chance of you leaping up from number eight to number one. And and then, you know, they got Zion Williamson. If this team got the number one, two, three pick next year, now we're talking about something because now John Wall comes back. And they're, and they're terrifying it. again because yeah. they, I, they still would have the depth issue because Ernie Grunfeld has no idea how to. Uh, <laughs> build a roster inside from out but 
man, that's starting five again. Like you said, if they stumbled in because of the lottery changes and everything else, um, that if they even if they finish like the eighth worst record in basketball, um, it's not crazy to think that they could slide up into that top three. Um, which would be huge because then you're like, like you said, John Wall comes back, Bradley Beal's still on the books, Otto Porter's on the books. Um, you could, it, 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 if it's Zion or whoever, like some other big time, big prospect, and then you're like, okay, they're back. Where you're like, yeah. okay, they have a starting five that you could see just being terrifying come playoff time, which is their bread and butter. Like, th- if you can find that right fifth guy, um, for them, because it's not Howard, it wasn't Gortat, I don't know who it is. But maybe it's someone they draft because they use this as a mulligan year, kind of like what happened with San Antonio years and years ago when they got Tim Duncan. Just a bad year, and they jump back in because um, they use that lottery pick on a big time big. You never know. Like I wouldn't roll it out, and um, I don't know. But it's also kind of weird. Are we sure that Ernie Grunfeld's not going to get cold feet and uh, get a little nervous about John Wall going down and trade that uh, first round pick uh, for a point guard who can uh, keep them afloat this season? Are we sure he won't do that? That's, I mean, that's where things come in over the next couple of weeks. That's where they need to look and uh, look at themselves over the next two, three weeks. See how Beal plays when he's the solo guy on the team, you know, the solo superstar. See how Ariza fits around a Beal-led team, you know, because Ariza, this is, you know, it's a real short-term experiment with Ariza. He's not going to be around long-term, I don't think. You know, they have Otto Porter. You can sort of see how things go. If they rip off a 10-game winning streak in the next couple of weeks, then that that situation that the dreams of Zion Williamson sort of die out because Bradley Beal can lead you back into the playoffs, you know, situation. And then you get into, you know, a three, six matchup with Philadelphia and Philadelphia has got some weird stuff going on. And all of a sudden now they're in that series and you can see how, you know, a team like that can, can step up their game. Everybody sort of steps their game up individually. Even if wall is out, you can, you can concoct a picture where they, make the second round of the playoffs or go all the way down and get RJ Barrett or Zion Williamson at the top of the draft. It's sort of, they're, they're in a a limbo situation. And before, while they're, while they're in an uncertain situation, if I were Ernie Grunfeld, I wouldn't do anything unless of course there's pressure from ownership to win. If that, if the ownership wants to win and they don't see results immediately and Grunfeld fears for his job, then you start to see things go, you know, they, they, then you start to see trades being made. But if if he sort of got carte blanche to go either way, see where the team goes, see what let the results on the floor sort of guide your hand one way or the other. If things start to go sort of 50-50 and you're still not sure, then you're going to have to pick one or the other. Are you going to try to get reinforcements or sort of tank, you know, mini tank the second half of the year and, and try to get into that that top five of the of the draft? You know, we'll see which which way they go. I would let the results sort of at least over these next couple of weeks, I would let the results indicate, you know, tell me which way we're going to go, which way the, the the wizards are going to go, because a lot of that will be down to Bradley Beal. A lot of that will be down to Otto Porter, Trevor Ariza, who, if things go poorly, Ariza has just as much value as he did when they just traded for him. So they can reflip him by himself. They can't aggregate him with other salary for the most part, but they can, they can just reflip him immediately to Los Angeles between now and the trade deadline, they don't, there's no wait for that. So if things don't go well and the Lakers are still clamoring for help, Ariza can be moved again in, in early February. So it's there's a lot of moving parts to this team. I would let the results sort of play out and see where where the team is in you know late January and then start to think about, okay, is it worth going out and getting Kevin Love You know, if they really want to spend big money this year? Tristan Thompson for Jan Mahinmi is a, is a trade that I think is interesting. Either of those would be huge for that team just because of how much they're getting crushed in the glass. Like just yeah. from that benefit alone, it, it would just be night and day. You have to watch the Wizards to understand just how just demoralizing it is um, to watch them get crushed on the boards the way they are. It's really hard to win basketball games when uh, you're getting out-rebounded the way they are. Yeah, and, and Thompson has been revitalized as as a part of that Cleveland yeah. Cavaliers team. It's it's something I that not Thompson a lot of people are are thinking about because obviously yeah. the Cavaliers are terrible. But Thompson's been this is one of the better years of his career so far. And I, you know he's been hurt a little bit, but if he comes back, shows that he's still that guy. Kevin Love comes back. Like there are some pieces out there for them to go and get if they want to. I would be 
surprised if they're in a situation that they're so good that they can convince themselves we're Tristan Thompson away from being really good. But then again, like you said, they're getting killed on the glass. Their big guy situation is really not very good. If Thompson, if they can get off of Mahinmi's contract and, and bring in Thompson, that's a little bit more money, but Thompson is a lot more useful on the floor for them. It's you, you could see them go in that direction and, and, being a, a much more interesting team with Thompson at the uh, at the center spot going down the stretch, or maybe Thomas Bryant's the answer. That perfect uh, field goal night he had the other night. Maybe I mean, I really Thomas liked Bryant. him. I thought that the Lakers were dumb to get rid of him over Zubac. Yeah. I would have I would have dumped Zubac and let him let him go for for Bryant. But you know they they decided to keep Zubac, and it's it's been the Wizards who have who really benefited from from having Thomas Bryant on their team. Speaking of the Lakers, this is what I would do if I'm Ernie Grunfeld, and then we'll move on. So at this point, you know what I'm doing? I'm calling Rob Palenka over and over again. I'm putting feelers out there. They're like, hey, LeBron, I, I know you know that uh, Brandon Ingram is not uh, a good basketball player when he's on the floor with you. <laughs> um, do we ever think there's going to be enough spacing for you and uh, Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram to share the floor together in crunch time? Is there a scenario where it's enough shooting for the Lakers to become real contenders in the West? I don't think so. So then you call... Uh, old Rob Palenka and Magic Johnson like you know who uh will play really well next LeBron James Otto Porter Otto Porter is more than happy to uh go in the background hit corner threes um to do whatever LeBron asks because that's what Otto Porter is all about is fading into the background um you've got him locked up for multiple years he's a lot older now he came into the league at like 47 years old after uh, a long stint at Georgetown He's uh, the exact type of player that LeBron would love playing next to. Um, he doesn't have to worry about kind of developing another young guy. He's already developing Kuzma, Lonzo. Do you really want to develop three young guys? What if you just moved on from Brandon Ingram? What if you uh, sent us Brandon Ingram and we'll also throw in Trevor Ariza? We know you like him. You give him a veteran and then a kind of veteran in Otto Porter. That's what I'm doing. Ernie Grunfeld should be blowing up Rob Polinka and Magic Johnson's phone and doing whatever tampering necessary to get LeBron James to talk himself into moving on from Brandon Ingram for Otto Porter and uh, Trevor Reza. I mean, despite the fact that that doesn't really work mathematically, just with all the salaries and stuff, I I would not, uh, I wouldn't do that as Los Angeles. I think that Ingram is a a longer term piece than LeBron is even, you know, because of LeBron's age and because LeBron has the, the not a shorter contract because Ingram is going to be restricted in 2020, but long-term Ingram is a, a bigger part of their long-term future. And I, I think the, the entire point of LeBron signing a three plus one and not a one plus one is that he is going to let the, the Lakers really develop over the next few years and not, jump to conclusions and not jump to, oh, Ingram and I don't totally get along on the floor right now. Oh, Lonzo Ball is shooting, whatever, 28% from three again. Is it that bad? It seems like he's better this year. Whenever I watch him, it seems like the shot's better, but is it still that bad? I think it's been just that bad. Um, See, do you really, I just, I mean, do you ever see a scenario where Lonzo Ball, LeBron James, and uh, Brandon Ingram can be on the floor together and that's enough shooting? It's... I mean, if if the the latter guys can can get their their shots together, I think if they if the young Would you kids on both of them, because I, I think both have to. Uh, I mean, I think if one does, that's fine. I think LeBron okay. is an average three point shooter, and he he has so much gravity just because he's LeBron James. That if Brandon Ingram can shoot corner threes, or or you know hit, uh, or if Lonzo is a thirty four percent three point shooter instead of where he is right now at thirty two. That's fine, you know, especially if he's better as a catch and shoot guy, which I always expected him to be coming out of college. You know, I didn't expect him to really be a a great off the dribble threat because his shot's so weird because he can't really go right and pull up. It's very strange for Lonzo to be a a good pull up shooter, but if he's a a floor spacing catch and shoot guy, which I thought he would be coming into the league and he still should have that DNA in there somewhere, but he's he hasn't, you know, obviously he hasn't put that together yet, but you know, I think LeBron is very cognizant of the fact that this might be a multi-year project, that year one is not the year for them to contend because, I mean, the, the Warriors are the Warriors. There's fractures in what's going on up there. We'll see if Durant is around after this year. We'll see if Durant is in Los Angeles after this year, and that would change a lot of things. So, you know, I think it's 
it's something that LeBron is not throwing this year because it's a very good development year for Ingram, for Lonzo, for Kuzma, for Josh Hart, who probably is the best fit around uh, around LeBron right now. If he if if he's developing those guys and sort of looking at this year like a let's win a playoff series, get these guys feet wet, and then come back next year with another free agent and really hit the ground running. That makes the most sense to me rather than panicking because Ingram has looked bad in, you know, the couple hundred minutes that they've played together. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's the best hope. But how intriguing would John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Brandon Ingram be? I mean, is there enough? Put them in the East. Like I mean, obviously the it's it's the East, but is there enough? Are there enough possessions? Are there enough ball handling possessions or to go around between those three guys? On paper, of course, Otto Porter should be the perfect guy for those two as well because Beal and Wall want to handle the ball so much, and he's just like a lights-out three-point shooter. And Beal, of course, is also a lights-out three-point shooter, so it should, on paper, work. The frustrating part with the Wizards is that it's not working and that it doesn't It doesn't make sense to me logically why it wouldn't why it doesn't work. And I think if you put Ingram in that situation, they, they're probably a little bit better defensively, but Ingram's nothing special on that end compared to Otto Porter. But the spacing gets really cramped because Wall and Ingram are non-shooters, just like you were talking about with, with Lonzo and Ingram being non-shooters in LA. And then Beal is sort of operating in these spaces where there's just not enough space for him to work. And I think it gets it gets weird for them. So, you know, I think for... For Washington, if they're trying to, if they're not trying to get off of money or lose this year or whatever like that, if they're trying to build, build a team that makes sense for next year, Wall, Beal, and whoever for next year, Porter makes sense there if they can get him, you know, a, little, a few more touches. If they can figure out the offensive side of things to to use those three to maximize the skills for those three guys, that makes more sense than Brandon Ingram. Yeah, but we'll see. Um, another team that uh, we've talked about a little bit that I'm very fascinated by because their defense is back. They're six, I believe in defensive rating as of this recording, but their offense sucks. And I'm not really certain there is a way around their offense, not sucking outside of Chandler Parsons going back to like 2012. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies who were at the top of the West at one point this year, they're out of the playoffs. If it started today, they're in that jumble group so they could easily get back in even like the four seed, whatever. Um, Jaron Jackson has been a revelation. He is fantastic. Um, he's a joy to watch. His shot does not make any sense. It reminds me of NBA 2K where you release the shot before, um, getting completely set. It's bizarre, but he's just the perfect four. I I, actually, I should say this. He's the perfect five in today's NBA, which is a problem because Marcus all is still a really good defender and is anchoring that Memphis defense and him, Jaron Jackson, Mike Conley and that group at Kyle Anderson on the floor together, really good defensively, but, um, that offense is, uh, not good. And, uh, I want to get your thoughts. What is, uh, the difference between their offensive and defensive identity? And, uh, why are the Grizzlies kind of struggling, uh, to put it all together And you're one of the JB Bickerstaff, Jerry Stackhouse and Nick Van Exel, uh, triumphant in Memphis. I mean, it's just the, the offense, for them has just been it's been difficult because they don't have they don't have the third guy I guess offensively like Gasol has and Gasol hasn't been you know sort of the 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 Mark Gasol that we expect him to be he's been a, you know a little bit worse offensively especially you know efficiency wise from two point range things have been bad for him and and Conley's been solid you know he's get you're getting what you expect from him Garrett Temple's been fine for them as a as a three and D threat on the wing. You know, obviously, Jaron Jackson has been really, really good as we sort of expected him to. Anybody who was sort of paying attention to him in the draft process thought that he was going to be, you know, somebody who could be, you know, not just be very good from year one because he's still a very young kid. But he's he was he was second on my board. He was he was somebody who I really thought uh, very highly of. So it's it's not unexpected to me to see him doing very well with Memphis. Where they fall flat offensively for me is like sort of the system and what they run and and things like that. It's a little bit too static at the end of games where it's just it's not just static, but it's repetitive with the Conley Gasol pick and rolls. And it's just there's not a lot of of extra ball movement. They're not getting everybody involved because they don't have the other guys who they really want to get involved. Like if you give the ball to Garrett Temple and he has to attack, 
that's not as good as having one of their other guys attack. So I think that's where they're falling down offensively. And obviously defensively, they've been fantastic. I don't know how you fix it because there's no one else in this roster. Their bench sucks. So in Marshawn Brooks and uh, the rest of that hodgepodge of J. Michael Green and um, Shelvin Mack actually has been really good for them this year, which is really bizarre. I think he's shooting like 40% from deep, but um, he's going to be like a 20-year veteran and we're going to be like, how did this happen? But then again, he did uh, get a shout out in the Orlando Magic's uh, end of season awards for those three assists a game for that 2017-2018 uh, Orlando Magic squad. So shout out to him for keeping it moving. But um, Dylan Brooks is fun, but he's not the guy either. So I don't know with Chandler Parsons just getting DMP uh, just not good and not uh, the body doesn't work anymore. I, I don't know how else they fix this because, like you said, um, they kind of have to play Anderson, Jaron, Gasol, Temple, and Conley together, and um, down the stretch of games, I just I don't know if like, there's just no answer other than Gasol, Conley pick and rolls, and hope that Garrett Temple is open, or Jaron Jackson can hit a fall away thirty five footer every now and then. I I don't know if they can do anything else with this roster, and um, you know I got to put my faith in Chris Wallace, and uh, what could go wrong there. I mean, the Parsons thing obviously is is the biggest thing because that's twenty four million dollars, and they're getting zero from him. You know, it's not like it's Jan Mahinmi where you're paying him fifteen million, getting nothing, or Brandon Knight where you're paying him fifteen million and you were getting nothing, and now maybe you're getting two million dollars worth of value. Twenty four million dollars, and you're getting zero from that is just. I mean, that's that's a team killer. Like you can have whatever you want going around that. You know, and unless you've got Curry and Thompson and Durant as your other three guys around a $24 million player who you're getting nothing from, you're not, it's just going to be very difficult to, to be good from that perspective because you can't, that it's just eating up so much of your money. And they've got this sort of impacted pick situation going forward where they owe a first round pick to Boston. After this year, that should go away as soon as they are outside of the top eight, then that pick goes to Boston. Then they'll be able to trade their 2020 pick and, and that, you know, all of that going forward. So that would be, you know, that would be really good for them if they can get to this summer, be outside of that top eight. Then Parsons is an expiring contract with a lot of other guys who are coming off those 2020 uh, or their 2016 deals that are going to be up in 2020 like Parsons will be. That's when you can start to think about, OK, this guy makes 25 million next year. What can we what can we move? Can we move a first round pick with him to get back even a guy who makes somewhere similar, you know, similar enough money to make the math work? And at least maybe that guy is somewhat useful on the floor because if Parsons is not, that's almost impossible. It's Mm -hmm. going to be very difficult to find because Parsons makes so much money that they have to take back like twenty one million dollars in salary and anybody who's making that kind of money is worth, you know, something on the court. So are they going to be willing to part with two first round picks, three first round picks? Like how many, how many oh, picks does it take Chris to get Wallace off of $25 million? <laughs> Just uh, whatever Chris Wallace, uh, it will, whatever it will take he uh, to get a bad trade in there, he will uh, do his best. I feel like the Hawks are the right trade partner for them, right? Like Baysmore, Victorian Prince. Yeah. I mean, that would be a very... If depending on what what was coming back from Memphis, the Hawks I would think love that would to get be an Parsons interesting in pick. There. They're already paying Carmelo, right? Like they let's are. Just keep adding more salary. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the Hawks would be open to that over the summer, depending on how many picks you know were coming in and and what you know what what's going on with with Baysmore and, and Prince going into the their you know last year of their current contracts. So it would be interesting. I think the the Cleveland Cavaliers, anybody with space this summer. And there are going to be quite a few teams with space might be interested, but you have to find a bad team with space who's willing to just take, you know, eat that $25 million. And, you know, what, where that comes from is, is going to be really interesting to watch and see if the, if the Grizzlies even really try to go that route or just sort of continue to eat that kind of money and, and hope that by 2020, 2021, that's when they can really start to, to make a push with Jaron Jackson and whoever else that they have still on on the roster around around him. Yeah, I am. Um, I do think it's gonna be interesting to see how the Jaron Jackson Gasol stuff at the four and the five plays out because it kind of reminds me. They kind of remind me of uh, Indiana West in a way, where Indiana had their three best players. I mean, that shout out to that young. I like him a lot too. But um, 
Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, and uh, Victor Oladipo. Those three can't play together in crunch time. So um, Sabonis has been playing crunch time at the five, not Miles Turner, even though Miles Turner is starting. I was at the the Pacers uh, Hawks game last week, and Sabonis was just unfair inside. And uh, watching Miles Turner was like watching a poor man's Dwayne Dedman. And uh, I know you tweeted about Miles Turner today, but uh, I love Dwayne Dedman, and uh, Miles Turner does basically the same kind of stuff, but is like ten years younger. Um, I I just I I wonder what you do when you have this kind of dynamic where you're not sure if two of your three best players can even be on the floor at the same time in crunch time. And I, I don't know um, how long um, with the way the NBA is going that they can just afford to play those two together. And Jaron Jackson is just too critical to their future um, for them not to um, have him close games and uh, do stuff like that and play the five, because isn't that his future at the five? Yeah. I mean, it's his future at the five, but he's not, it's not like Turner and Sabonis where one where those guys are really, really centers. Like 100%, those guys are fives. Whereas Jackson is like just enough of a four that you could get away with it for the first couple years while okay. Gasol is still really good. And then Gasol's contract is up in 2020. You see what you want to do with him at that point. You see if he is more of a Dirk. He wants to take more of a Dirk-style step back where you know you bring him back because he's a Memphis guy, because he's been there forever, went to high school in Memphis, was drafted but then traded to, to Memphis before he ever you know appeared for the Lakers. So there's he's he's connected enough to the franchise that by the time 2020 rolls around, where Jackson will be, you know, that'll be Jackson's third year in the 2020-2021 season. You could see Gasol taking a a salary, you know, a, a big salary reduction to try to open up space to for them to sign somebody else basically the dirk route where he comes off the bench he's behind jaron jackson he realizes okay this kid is the future they could still probably play together a little bit in that first year but jackson is really their future going forward and it's so you know it's not i'm not super worried about it only because gasol is a a short-term solution at the center position but jackson They've got him for four years plus restricted free agency. Like he's still their long-term future, even if those two can't play together. By year five of Jaron Jackson's career, Marcus Alls might not even be in the league anymore. So does it really matter that they're playing together right now at the at the outset of his career? And whether Jackson and Jackson's getting experience at the four, which is good experience in terms of switching on the perimeter, you know, guarding guys who he might have to you know play against later in his career, things like that where you can take the time early in his career to play him out of position so that he learns how to play that position and then come back in year three and four and teach him how to play, really teach him how to play the center position and sort of get him minutes at both spots, you know, early on. I think that's, it's a really interesting, you know, way that the the Minnesota Timberwolves did this with Zach Levine. And is obviously a very different type of player, but they were feeding Levine pick and rolls over and over and over. And he was terrible at them. And the Minnesota fans were like, this is retarded. Why are we giving him these kinds of, of, of possessions? Why would we, why would we do this? This makes no sense on any level. And then all of a sudden you see Zach Levine in year four, year five, turn, turn it on and makes, and make sense of all the pick and roll reads. And all of a sudden he's scoring 25 a game and, and a lot of that coming in pick and roll. And all of a sudden the, the coaching staff from, from the Minnesota days has to be looking at that and going, Oh Yeah. That's what we meant. That's why we gave him all those, all those, uh, all those reps. It's so. Is that it, why we should believe in Trey Young's future in Atlanta? Is them building their game inside out and then putting in the time to make sure that he's attacking over and over again and not um, playing the Damian Lillard, Steph Curry type role um, in year one. Oh well, I mean, I think there's, there's, I wouldn't, I'm not worried at all about Trey Young. Uh, mm. I, I wouldn't be. I'm not. I mean, obviously, he is everything that we expected him to be except the shooting isn't quite there yet. And the passing is shooting a lot either. It's not like he's pulling up. I mean, his, I was looking at his rookie year compared to like Lillard from a couple years ago. And there's a lot of similarities between the two, because I still think best case scenario, he's Damian Lillard, but like just as a better passer, but even their assist numbers and everything else are pretty close. But um, I don't know you. I've watched a lot of trade this year and I, I don't know. I'm still a huge Kevin Herter guy. I think that dude's going to be really good. And him already shooting 40% as a rookie is pretty wild. Um, he's very fluid. He can drive and kick. We talked about him. We're both big uh, herder guys, but 
Um, I don't know. The Trey stuff, I'm just... Uh, Jaron Jackson, another guy they could have had instead, who I think is going to be a much better pro. Yeah, I mean, I had I had Young like seventh on my on my board. I think if we were to if we were to sit down and really redraft the draft, I think Young is probably Young goes. Guy? Oh, of course, I think he goes okay. higher than seventh. I think he goes like fifth again. You know, I think if you're if you're really looking at it, you would you still want Luca one because that just made sense at the time. It still makes sense well, now. To be fair, the Hawks weren't in a position to take uh, Luca Doncic once he fell. Oh wait, they they were right. Okay. <laughs> Well, at least they got something for him. It's not like Sacramento, who got nothing and then ended the up Mavs with Marvin might make Bagley. the playoffs. But that's—I mean, they, okay, I understand. Like, it's—I would take Luca too. I would have taken him at the time. I still would take him now. Luca's clearly the number one guy. Jackson, I think, is the number two guy. You could argue that Trey Young is the third best guy. I probably wouldn't, but you could argue uh, he's in that conversation with DeAndre Ayton, with Wendell I would Carter. Take over him, yeah. You know, those guys are are good, and Trey Young has been solid. It's not, he, ha, you know, he's never going to be a good defender. the problem, defender. right, is he's solid, and I would agree. Like, there's enough to like where you're like, he's going to be a really good player, but he's just not Luka Doncic. He's not even close. Like, it's well, just, sure, but there's he's no... He's not going to be a star. You can't even... Because that trade's already done, there's no sense in comparing them, because going forward, the Hawks can't... It's not like going forward, the Hawks are going to have to decide in two years whether they're going to go with Doncic or Young. They've decided to go with Young. So now you, you just think about it moving forward with Young. Where What is this guy to the Hawks? Where is he going to fit in on a, on a contending team? And you can see it. He If he has that shot that he had in college, if he has the shot that people thought he was going to have coming in, where he can shoot 33% on pull-ups and 42% on catch-and-shoots, and he's got the passing, and he's got more finishing than I expected him to have at this point in his career. And his defense is terrible, but if his defense comes from 5th percentile to 20th percentile, where he's not just a, a turnstile, but he's at least giving you he's a little bit of effort on that man. end, all of a sudden, like those are the two things that he needs, and you would bet on the shooting regressing up to where it should be. I would not bet on the defense getting anywhere close to being even below average, but if it right. gets somewhere where it's not just atrociously bad, that's that's a really, really high level starting point guard. You know, that's a that's a Damian Lillard type starting point guard with more passing and less scoring because Damian Lillard's an all world scorer. I don't expect Trey to get there. But if Trey's an all world passer and you have to play out on him because he can pull up from anywhere and he, those are, that opens up all sorts of passing lanes. We saw that against the Pacers today, uh, you know, the 31st of December, this, the game that they just played this mm-hmm. afternoon. The, the Pacers were throwing all sorts of guys at him. And, you know, it wasn't always 100% pretty because it's not going to be 100% pretty any of the time, especially with the, uh, with the way the Hawks are playing right now, this year in particular. But it was, you can see, I can see Young's offensive value being so high because he can he can be the guy with the ball in his hands who you have to double team on the perimeter and he can pat he can make any pass you've ever wanted any kid he's to also make. not scared to go inside like that's the other yeah thing. Like, and he can finish getting, a little bit he's not yes. like uh, you know he's not a great finisher he's not damian lillard in there but i just want him at trying right now right like you just want him to keep trying over and over again kind of like the Aaron fox yeah like it's He'll taken learn a while but he, yeah you're just like hey just keep going and eventually yeah. you'll get there you'll get bigger you'll get stronger but as long as you're not afraid to drive and kick because they needed that. Just that's going to have to be a part of the staple of his game. Um, the last thing I'll say about Trey though is I just think they have to look at it as he's not a franchise cornerstone. Like they have to find that guy in the draft this year. It has to be Zion, RJ, whoever. But it's not Herder. It's not Trey. It's not Omari Spellman. It's not Prince. Oh, yeah. It's not Bazemore. It's not John Collins, who I love a lot. It's uh, not on the roster yet. So as long as they Travis Link looks at it from that perspective, where he still just has a hodgepodge of role players, um, they can be okay. But they cannot look at like how do we build around Trey? That cannot be the focus because I just don't okay. think you'll ever get to uh, a real contender if that is your game plan. You have to look at it as like he can be a second or third guy on a on a championship team. He can't be the number one guy like a Luca or someone else. I would I would only disagree in that I don't I would not decide one way or the other in december of his rookie year oh, whether you can build around <laughs> whether you can build around trey young as a long-term as the long-term core point guard for your team i would 
I would, if I had to absolutely gun to my head, pick one, I would say yes, that he is a franchise level uh, top eight point guard in the league at his peak. Oh, wow. I would say, I would think that he, that's what I hope, man. I would, I would, I don't, I I guess I do sort of expect him to get there. I would, I would see the rest of the league's point guards. I would, I, he can, he can pass so well. And if he's finishing at a, you know, a, a roughly average clip and the shot comes back, he is one of the most devastating offensive point guards in the league, like immediately. Okay. You know, so it's not, and it, it you know, it's two, we're what, two and a half months into his rookie year. Mm-hmm. Obviously we, you know, we're, we're going to have to have this conversation over and over and over because of the way the league is. But like, he's, he's really, he, he's got a chance to be special and I would not throw I mean, I certainly wouldn't throw it away. Like, if it, I mean, they don't have to throw it away. There's no, it's not like Zion is away. a point it's guard. It's just adjust expectations and adjust perspective is all I'm saying. Like, just go into it like the lottery next year. Schlenk just needs to go into it like we're taking best player available, even if it doesn't, even if this person doesn't fit next to Trey. They cannot go into it going, who is the guy that fits best next to Trey Young? That cannot be the the focus i just think you have to look at it like oh well what if torian prince and herder can we really rely on rj in that group no 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 no, no. don't think of it like that that's that's my main thing it's just we'll see this conversation like you said it's gonna be talked about for months and months years and years and uh we will see but i don't know i think uh we just have to see more so yeah i mean we do we do have to see more i would say that that young herder and collins are their sort of three building blocks right now those plus the, yeah those are the plus whoever they right get now. in the draft what what they get in the you know who they get in the draft based on where they are in the standings is probably not going to be a guard you know you can talk yourself into like Quentin Grimes from from Kansas but if you're going if you're in that range you can probably get a wing or a forward around that same range who's probably in that you know in the same tier if they don't get Zion at the top if they don't get RJ Barrett there's a bunch of wings and forwards so I don't think this year is going to be the year that they have to decide, okay, are we going to go big with a point guard at the top of the draft again, or are we going to go with Trey Young going forward? They have at least one more year. I don't know enough about the 2020 draft at this point to know whether it's a, 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 there are point guards at the top of that draft. But they have at least Trey Young's first two years to really decide, okay, is this the guy we're going to build around? Right now, I would say yes, but they have the two years, so you might as well take the whole two years to to figure that out. All I'll say to wrap that uh, portion of the conversation up is uh, Dallas Mavericks, they better miss the playoffs. That's all I'll say. They better miss the playoffs this year. <laughs> that pick better be in the lottery. Yeah, I mean, you would hope so from the from the, the, the Hawks' perspective. You would hope that comes in at 9th, 10th, 11th. I think Schlenk just like three days ago told, uh, told Petrie hoops, Brad, Brad Roland on his podcast Good get, yeah. that, uh, that they, they project that to pay the ninth pick. Like he just okay. came out and said that. So hmm. if it's the ninth pick, that's pretty solid. Uh, if it's the 16th, 17th pick, that's not, not, not so good. That's if it's the 19th God-worthy. pick, then it's fantastic. Cause Travis Schlenk has never missed on the 19th pick ever. <laughs> uh, you know, John Collins and Kevin Herter back to back 19th picks. So they want that Dallas pick to be 19th, really, because yeah. that's that's the then you get Kawhi Leonard basically at that that's point. Schlenk's, like, <laughs> that's Schlenk's number. That's his his favorite number is number 19, apparently. Oh my god. Um, last thing, and uh, then we'll go. Um, I just I wrote about this this week. Uh, why do you think the Wolves are not better than what they are right now? I don't know what. What did we really expect from the Wolves after well, the have after a lot Jimmy of starters? Bar- they have a lot of vets, and like Towns is still really good for them. He's putting up like twenty two and eleven and five. Um, when Jeff Teague is healthy with that group, like Dario Sarge and Robert Covington should have helped them win. Now, like they're not going to contend. I just think it's odd that this team is like four games under five hundred when they traded Jimmy Butler for two starters who should have helped them uh, stay afloat in the West. Like that's my thing. Is I don't really get it. Maybe it's just because their bench. Like if you look at their uh, different five man lineups and their sortable lineups and stuff like that uh the bench is just uh, a fucking dumpster fire and um there's only a couple groups of guys that work really well and it's like roco towns and uh teague and uh wiggins is obviously not taking the 
next step, but he's still in a lot of positive uh, big lineups for them. Teague and Rose, for whatever reason, does really well, um, the two-point guard thing. But Tyus Jones isn't shooting well for them this year. Maybe it's because they're, like, just the way he's been used the last couple of years is taking a toll. I don't know. But uh, I, I am I crazy for just thinking they just should be better with a veteran coach and a veteran-heavy roster and one of the 10 to 15 best players in basketball? I mean, is Towns in that level is he on that level of 15 best guy in the league or is he more 23rd you know i think that defensively that's where things you know might be a a question mark for him in particular obviously offensively he's probably one of the eight best offensive players in the world did you see scott uh shout out to uh scott rafferty um friend of the pod who had this uh just um this clip that he put up of him coming off a screen like he's reggie miller it's so yeah, I mean, he's ridiculous as an offensive player. Like he's so good, but the defense holds him back and the coach holds him back. I mean, we, we sort of think of Thibodeau as this innovative defense first veteran head coach because of what he was, Minnesota. because of what he was 10 years ago when he right. was, when he was with Boston and his early days in Chicago, he was so far ahead of the curve defensively that he established what we know of as current defensive tactics and strategies right now you know icing pick and rolls every time on the side overloading the strong side against against really good perimeter players and zoning up the weak side that those are tom thibodeau specialties that then in 2008 to 2012 were innovative and unique to his teams and then now in 2018 everybody's doing that for the most part and he hasn't taken that he hasn't figured out what the next step is the next innovation hasn't quite come to him or whatever. It hasn't, it hasn't, I don't think it's coming Jeff. And, and so for now, as we look at it, is Tom Thibodeau an above average coach right now? I mean, I, I I don't think think he is. I don't think so. I think he's not getting enough out of the amount of talent they have, at least in their top eight. Like they should be better than where they're at. Like the Spurs have just as much talent, if not worse. And they're surviving. There are teams that have less, talent in their main rotation than the wolves and a lot of just capable defenders like you look up and wiggins i mean gibson um sarich roko those guys i mean even when they had jimmy butler last year they just should have been better they should have been better and you would think like tom thibodeau defensive coach roko is a fantastic defensive player when they had butler of course he's fantastic taj gibson they play two big guys all the time because they want to be more defensive yeah and yet it's not coming it's not showing up in the numbers they're not good defensively is that because the those players when they show up to Minnesota are all of a sudden not very good anymore or is it because Tom Thibodeau innovative defense first Tom Thibodeau is not as innovative as we remember him to be 5 10 years ago i think that's the case but uh, yeah. i think we'll enjoy seeing him on the jump next year right yeah maybe uh mm-hmm. that would that would surprise me i just don't see him as a tv guy no, you know, I would, he, I would definitely he to get fired. To I think Van he would Gundy, bounce around the way he did before and just sort of be in around teams and then find another job and be just the head Who's coach. Who's hiring him again? Is that happening? Would you hire Tom Thibodeau again in like 2020? If he were to get fired and then he were to take a year off and then you could interview him and ask him like, what is your innovative tactics for the 2020 NBA? And he, if he, you could see him coming up with an answer that made sense, I don't. I right. No, if you're still willing to hire like Tom Thibodeau in 2020, no, just no. Like, I would call Frank Vogel or Ron Adams before I would call Tom Thibodeau at this point. I would right now, but if you gave him a year off and and it's not impossible to see him coming back and being a top ten coach again because. He's been there before, and if he can innovate again, then it's it's doable. I, it's not something I would bet on, but it's Frank I wouldn't. Just, a lot. Most I wouldn't just write that many opportunities. Say it's possible yeah. that he could get back there. Okay, I don't know. I'm out, but they're an interesting conundrum. But Wolves fans, uh, I hope for the best for you guys because I don't want to see uh, KG Part Two and just the Anthony Davis stuff unfolding the way it looks like it's going to. Towns might be the next one up. Um, yeah, just downtimes but hopefully they turn around because i enjoy watching carl anthony towns play basketball and i want andrew wiggins to be good but uh we can't get everything we want but you know what i did get what i wanted tonight i got a podcast on new year's eve 
with Jeff Siegel of earlybirdrights.com, a site that I check every day. Great play stuff, great cap knowledge. Jeff does it all there. So go check that out. Um, is there anything else uh, you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, if you want to, well, if you're listening to this on New Year's Day, there's something about Vince Carter up at peachtreehoops.com. Um, continue to read all my stuff on Early Bird and uh, Petri Hoops and Fear of the Sword and Blazer's Edge and Dime Magazine and maybe one other one that I can't remember right now. Forbes.com as well is coming. Is I'm going to be uh, on their site as well in uh, in 2019. And you can find everything on Twitter at JG Siegel. I think that's the best place to 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 catch up with everything I've got going on. All right. Well, keep up with Jeff because he's one of the best NBA writers today. Jeff, I appreciate you taking the time on a holiday night, no less. So I appreciate it. And we will uh, talk in soon, sir. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple podcast or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.